DJ, PK, and David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Join us. David, good morning. I'm in San Diego. I'm in your haunt. You win. Good place I to do. Be. This is a great place. What are, you, what are you doing in San Diego? Connecting, really. Truly, we came in late last night. We stayed overnight, and we're flying back in today. Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh, David is joining us right now on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. All right, David, the NBA is finally settling down, calming down. He had that one last convulsion there as Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook got traded. So now that you lay it all out there, how do you rank the top teams in the West? Um, I haven't done all my numbers yet. I was looking at 538 last night, um, and they ran some Me numbers. They're generally pretty good. Cause I, think, I think the value of the numbers – um, at this point is to try to just get a juxtaposition, like an understanding of where everybody is. Um, and there've been so much movement that I think some of the depths and things like that are hard to kind of read. So 538 has the Rockets actually considerably ahead of everyone else. Um, that's actually where I had the Rockets before the trade. And so that's a weird one. Like my numbers, particularly offensively, have the Rockets way down because Westbrook was so terribly inefficient last year. Um, yet I think, you know, universally, if you ask most people, Russell Westbrook's better player than Chris Paul, but I'm not sure if that's true. Um, he will be more available, which is true. And, um, Paul slowed down a lot, which is true, but in the immediate situation, Westbrook's just so terribly inefficient. I mean, he really had the largest negative impact offensively on his team last year of any player in the NBA. And, you know, if, if he actually starts grabbing possessions of not as much from James Harden, but from Eric Gordon and P.J. Tucker and Clint Capella. Um, and is that inefficient? That'll be detrimental. On the other end, you know, maybe Mike D'Antoni's better at using Russell Westbrook than, than Billy Donovan has been or um, anyone else in Oklahoma City has been, um, Scotty Brooks, in that, you know, they're just going to spread the floor and let him go to work on a high pick and roll with Clint Capella rolling to the basket, which is, you know, what Westbrook did with Adams, but Maybe West. Maybe we're going to find out that Capella is a better roller, and that that really opens up the world to Westbrook in a way that he hasn't had in Oklahoma City um, with three shooters. So you know the numbers according to five thirty eight have the Rockets actually considerably above everyone else. And then the other one I think is really interesting, and this one's just hard to project because you don't know when Clay Thompson's coming back. But Steph Curry's still way better than anyone realizes, um, and his positive impact on the game is considerable. I don't know what happens to Golden State in February if they're the sixth seed and these guys have been five straight finals and whether or not they have it in them to to fight through that in the doldrums of the regular season. But Steph's still probably the best player in the Western Conference. And, you know, the best player in the conference doesn't usually fall much further than four. So, you know, it's hard to find what teams you think aren't going to be in the top four because there's about seven or eight you think that should be. I want to talk about the Jazz. Uh, you know, one of the things I thought that was phenomenal and maybe didn't get as much run is that they win 50 games and they basically had uh, three non-shooters from the three out on the floor in their starting lineup. And so now they fortified that, obviously. How much different or what type of changes do you think we'll see out of Quinn Snyder's offense now that they'll have an abundance of shooters compared to what they've had in recent seasons? Well, it's interesting. Quinn Snyder said to use all this movement to be able to create that 
a decent offense. I mean, even I think they've been above average both the last two years offensively, despite the fact that they have had these non-shooters. Now that's because they've had a lot of dunks. And, you know, if if Mike D'Antoni in his 53-point shot the game could dunk every single time, he would. So, you know, I think we still have to remember that's the single most efficient shot in the game. So you have Gobert as a dunker and you have Favors dunking, and, they, and the rate that they were able to do that allowed for these, you know, they had the worst or second worst shooting point guard in the league. They had the worst shooting starting power forward. They had the second worst shooting um, stretch four in the game. And yet somehow they found a way to be able to um, manufacture good offense with movement and picks and vertical spacing at the rim. Now they're going to have shooting all around it. So on one level, you think it'll just explode. Um, on the other, I almost wonder if you can simplify it a little bit. You just don't have to move everyone and be doing all these crazy creative things to be able to kind of fake the other team out and sucker them into guarding your guys that don't need to be guarded because now your guys actually need to be guarded. Um, and so I, I wonder if at times, you know, you get a little less movement because fine, you're welcome. Like we're just going to run a pick and roll with Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert at the top going right to left and let Conley get to his left hand and Gobert's going to roll and Buck Donovich is going to sit in one corner and Ingles is going to sit in the other and Donovan's going to be lifted and, I mean, you're welcome to leave whoever you want, and we'll just react rather than trying to create all sorts of movement and activity and other things to try to lure you into making a mistake somewhere defensively. So really, what does the other team do when when either Conley or Donovan is running a pick and roll? You can't help off the two shooters in the corners. You can't let Gobert dunk if the point guard gets free a little bit. Did they help off the other guard? I mean, is someone really going to leave Mike Conley to go put a singing guy on Donovan Mitchell, or do they let him get the layup? So my initial thought is exactly. Um, I don't know what other teams do. I think you might trap Mike Conley and try to make him get the ball out of his hands quickly, maybe to go bare and make go bare make some plays in the mid post, which is not his strength. Um, his, his strength is making the play at the rim. Actually, Faves is pretty good at making the play in the mid post. Um, and maybe that's what you're doing, but that's not that hard to read for Gobert. He'll figure that out. You know, he catches, doesn't travel, and finds whichever corner was left um, as the roll man. Um, but that's the only thought I have is that you try to trap Mike Conley, make him put some air under the ball so he can rotate back into your positions. What do all these new acquisitions mean for the game that Donovan Mitchell will play this season? should be really different. I think the exciting thing if you're a Jazz fan is that the key for the entire season is going to be, you know, to me the key that they've structured here is that the key to this season is going to be how their two best players play. Right? I know kind of exactly what I'm getting from Joe Ingles and Bojan Bogdanovic and um, Ed Davis and Jeff Green. They are who they are. They're adults. They're 30-plus years old. There's not a big surprise. Um, you're not – you haven't built a team where you're relying on Emmanuel Moutier to suddenly come together. You're not relying on a team where you're relying on Royce O'Neal to have a surprising season. It's unlikely. You've built a team where Donovan Mitchell has to become more efficient and Rudy Gobert has got to be dominant defensively. Um, and I think to answer your question specifically, Donovan has a much more open floor than he's ever had before. Um, to the question thing we were just talking about, you know, who do you leave? Um, you know, it was, it used to be who don't you leave? Um, you know, which, which of our guys do we want to leave? We can leave all of them and have Donovan drive into three guys. 
Um, now it's going to be a question of, you know, what poison do you pick? And we're going to find out if Donovan can make those reads. One of the criticisms of Donovan is a little bit that he doesn't always make the read very well. I'm not always sure how clear the reads were when, you know, or whether the choices on the reads were that good and they should be better now than they were. Is Donovan going to shoot the three better? Because if you start looking at all the numbers, it seems like that's one thing teams might do is make him shoot the three. Well, his catch and shoot numbers are pretty incredible. I think there was a stretch last year where for about 35 games, he was over 50%. So if they'd like to make him shoot the three, that'd be fine. Um, What about when he has has the His off-the-bounce pick-and-roll three, you know, if teams start to go under on him, would and that's their way of dealing with this is that they go under and try to get back to the other side. He's probably quick enough. He still can beat you if you go under and he's getting downhill far enough. Um, he can shoot the three better. The shot he has to shoot better. And this is that floater. He was one of the most high volume and lowest efficiency players in the league in, in the floater range of the paint non-restricted area. He shot, I think the second or third, most of anyone in the league and of the top 40 or 50, I think he had the second or third worst percentage. Um, that shot has got to go away. Now, did that shot happen because Favors man was no longer guarding Favors, and so he, Donovan couldn't get to the rim? Was that shot because Jake Crowder's guy was no longer guarding Jake Crowder and Donovan couldn't get to the rim? Was that shot because Donovan is not very big and or tall, and so he, instead of going to the rim, that was his answer. He hasn't been very good at it. Um, he now has the best, one of the best in the league at it, Mike Conley, but even that's not that efficient. So I think it'll be that to me, not rather than the three is going to be the question is, can he learn how to play somewhere other than in that floater range? If he wants to pull up for the pull up three on occasion, that's, I mean, the pull up mid range jumper, he's, you know, your best players are going to have to hit some mid range shots, but that floater has just not been a good shot. So we've seen significant change in the roster in terms of turnover, right? And we know what the guys gave us last year, and you know what they're going to give us this year. And it seems like it's so positive now. Do you see any negative as far as what the team lost that it may have not may not be able to replace as well compared to last season? Well, I mean, you know, Favors was an incredible luxury, um, as much as he was a detriment not because of his talent, but because of his skill set in the starting lineup offensively, he was a tremendous luxury. I I saw a piece someone wrote about how dominant he was in his minutes played. It's really misleading because he was that dominant as you know, when he was a like it was this Pelican I think it was might have been Andy Bailey on Forbes, I'm not sure. Um, but it was this piece that says, Hey, you know, when he was at the five you know, here were his numbers. Well, he was at the five against backups, and, you know, he's not a backup. He's a top-ten quality starting center in the NBA, and he was playing against backups. That was an incredible advantage uh, for the Jazz. Now, those 12 minutes a night or 14 minutes a night were an advantage. The 14 minutes a night he was on the floor when he was with Gobert were a disadvantage. So that's what the Jazz have, have rectified, and I've, I've showed David the numbers um, that, you know, actually all you have to do is to be about even – now in the backup minutes because if you follow the history of what Colbert has been uh, with any stretch four, all we have to do now is be even uh, with that bench unit. So we've lost that, but that we don't have to be as good because we're so much better um, around it. The other one I just think is going to be interesting, and you know this has been a signature of the Jazz for a long time and been a signature of Quinn Snyder, is that we've always played really hard. Um, you know, we have a few guys that I'm not sure that's their reputation that, of playing hard. Um, and so I think we're going to have to play hard. And like, I think it's going to be a little bit of an effort to play hard in the sense that, you know, you've gotten more talented and, and, and that has not always been 
Um, you know, sometimes talent doesn't always play quite with the same uh, force because it's talent. And so I think that'll be interesting to see is whether or not these guys play. You know, like if Jake, I'm not sure Jake Crowder always played as hard as we thought he did, but, you know, when, let me rephrase it that way, actually, when Jake Crowder didn't play hard, it was really obvious because he wasn't that talented. Some of these other guys can kind of get through it because they're really good. And so I think the question now is going to be, you know, whether the Jets can play as hard as they um, have in the years past. David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz, joining us here. So uh, you break down the Jazz there, and the numbers say the Rockets are probably the best team in the West. Do you have a gut feeling that one other team really helped itself? Maybe Denver just by not making a bad move and letting younger guys improve? Maybe you like Kawhi with the Clippers, or you think the Lakers have been getting beaten up for six years and people are undervaluing what they did? I don't know. Is there another team that jumps out at you? So a few things, um, and there are many of the teams you just mentioned. So um, I think the Lakers are still the best offensive team in the in the NBA. Um, the Rockets were, now I have the Lakers. So I, 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 I think we've underestimated. I'm not sure how they're defending at all. Um, I think that's a really legitimate concern on the Lakers. I think every single guy on their roster is a sub-average defensive player, and Avery Bradley's body is broken. Um so he now is probably that too. So I think that's a concern for the Lakers. They they might be a little bit more of this top five offense, close to bottom five defensive team. And, you know, Anthony Davis blocks a lot of shots, but his teams have never been good defensively the way, you know, Rudy always has a good defensive team out of those with that presence. Um, so I think they're better than people are giving him credit for. Um, Denver, Gary Harris had a really bad year last year. And Gary Harris had a really, really good year two years ago. And so I think that Gary Harris is prime for a, a little bit of a bounce. And then if Jamal Murray continues, um, his natural, Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell to me are very similar players. I think they're the same age. Both of them were inefficient last year. Both of them were at the stage of their career where they need to get efficient. And um, so I think Denver and Utah could have a jump because their best offensive players get better in somewhat of a natural progression. Um, obviously the Clippers are great. Um, I, I think my numbers have the Clippers as the number one team in the West, not the Rockets. I mean, what's crazy here is Houston with Harden and Westbrook, Clippers, Kawhi and Paul George, Lakers we know, Jazz, Nuggets, Blazers, I'm forgetting someone who's really good, Warriors. Three of those teams are losing in the first round. Gulp. <laughs> Right? So, like, oh, well, Portland. Okay, well, they're at the Western Conference Finals last year. And, like, Dean looks at be about to break through to an MVP caliber year. And they, you know, they had two of the worst shooters in the league in Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu, and they've, and they've, they've changed that. Why can't the East get it together? Get some of these good teams know. over there, lighten the load a little bit. Uh, there's going to be, I think there's going to be three playoff teams in the East that are under 41. That's ugly. All right, David, we've enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Okay, talk to you soon.